be turning in our Bibles in multiple places this morning. Um, but before we do, let me tell you a little story. Um, well, I'll need your help with these later. All right. <laughs> when I was a kid, um, I used to like to you know, compete at everything, right? That was kind of like my thing. I just had to compete at everything, and I, I had to like win, and then it, like winning wasn't enough, so I had to like dominate, and then that like was even like with myself. So because I was a middle child and the only boy, two sisters, older sister, younger sister, that, you know, if I was going to compete like with things, I kind of made up games by myself because my sisters would get annoyed with me and not want to do the things that I want to do. So I'd make up these little games among myself. Sometimes I would take my, uh, my bag of baseballs and my bat and go to the park and see how many I can hit over the fence by standing at home plate and do all that sort of thing, make up different games, you know, throw them balls off the wall and trying to hit different bricks as different, maybe this, this part of the strike zone, that kind of thing. And, uh, you know, I was 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, those kind of things, doing that. And then um, I discovered really that, that I love to eat and I would like want to see how much I could eat, right? It's like, how much could I possibly eat? And uh, one time, at, anybody remember in West Covina, there was this buffet called Duff's? You remember? <laughs> yes. So we went to Duff's, me and a, a, a friend of mine at church, we went over there. I was probably like 16, 17 years old. And I go over there, and I'm like, I'm, I'm going to do some damage here with this thing. And uh, I ate seven plates of food. And on the seventh one going back, uh, I heard this boy at the, ne- at the another table whisper to his dad, he's going back again. <laughs> I was like, one time at a home, hometown buffet, I drank seven big glasses of chocolate milk. That was a bad move. That was like a bad move. You just got a little bit negative experience afterwards, right? And uh, then one Thanksgiving, I'm going to my grandmother's house, and I thought to myself, what could I do? What kind of damage can I do here? And I was like, I am going to consistently have food in my mouth and eat for one hour. <laughs> it's just like, we're going to do this. And when we got down to the last part where the only thing that was left was the uh, applesauce and, you know, that fruit kind of salad stuff with marshmallows in it. And grandma and mom and dad and aunts, they're all clearing the table. And I'm like, no, I have minutes left. I got to, like, eat this. And uh, so I ate for a solid hour, and then I laid on the living room floor, and my grandmother came by and said, how do you feel now? And I couldn't move. I'm not moving. I'm not answering that. Kids, you do things. But eventually, we got to grow up. Eventually, it's like we've got to stop this nonsense, Right? Well, I don't think I've grown up yet. I'm 50, but the other day at Aldi, I was in there buying some half and half, and I saw this stuff. I don't know what it is, but it said almond nog. That's a hard no. But of course, I had to try it. And if you would like to try it, it's in the refrigerator in my office, because I just left it here, because you may want to embark upon the same journey that I did and just say, this is nasty. I like almonds. I have no idea what nog is, but I like eggnog. So almond nog is a no. I don't do that. And then recently, as I've tried to become more thankful, you know, two years ago at a retreat, I made thankful my word of the, of the year. 
And uh, I've been signing um, a lot of my, my emails either thankful or grateful because I noticed that, you know, in all of my childness, <laughs> childlikeness, I have a tendency to do this with being thankful. I'm thankful, and then I'm annoyed, and I'm irritated. And then I'm thankful, and then I'm irritated again. And it's just like this. And I'm like, hold up. There's got to be a more adult way to do this to where I can grow in my ability to be thankful and to be content. And that's just always a struggle for me. And so somewhere in this journey of thinking about how to approach Thanksgiving this year, I typically, what I do with churches that I've pastored is I've, I've said, okay, God, will you speak to my heart? We're going to get alone with you. And Lord, would you speak to my heart and kind of help me understand things that you're thankful for in our church, right? And so I started to go down that path again. <laughs> and then it was like that, that message is probably going to be the third one in the series. Because as I started to go down that path, I started to think where well, the Lord was like, you know, Let's talk about growing up. And I was like, huh. Let's talk about what it looks like when we're approaching this topic of thanksgiving in a grown-up way. Instead of like this. Instead of, oh, it's Thanksgiving. What kind of, comp- what kind of food competition can we have? Let's eat until we're about to throw up. But let's, let's really think about what we're being thankful for. And when I started to think about, you know, things that I'm thankful for about our church and that God is thankful for in our church, I, I kind of noticed that I was like this. That some things I'm very thankful for in our church and some things I'm irritated with. Like just some things, a pastor can say that, right? Some things about our church, I'm just like, that. I don't like that. <laughs> and the Lord's like, but are you still thankful even though that irritates you. And I don't do well with that. When something irritates me, it tends to rob me of my ability to be thankful, right? And so the Lord is like, oh, that, that needs to, you need to grow up in that. And perhaps maybe some of you are like me. You're finding a lot more these days that allows, that, that you are allowing to rob you of your thanksgiving, that you're, you have some good things, but yet there's some other things, and they're robbing you of a spirit of thanksgiving in your heart. And maybe you're approaching this year's Thanksgiving day thinking, well, what do I have to be thankful for? Or, I'm thankful for this, but man, this. If I could just get rid of this, then maybe I'll really be thankful. And maybe God is asking you, can you be thankful in the middle of all that? <laughs> can you be thankful even if I don't remove some of the things that you feel are robbing you of your ability to say thank you. How about your relationships? Been married 31 years. Absolutely adore my wife. She is the source of my peace. She is the source of everything else that I do. She centers me. But sometimes we irritate each other. <laughs> but that doesn't change the other piece, right? Doesn't change the other piece. And so I'm thinking about this struggle, the struggle to acknowledge challenge and difficulty, not ignore them, because that's what kids do, right? Kids just ignore the challenges. Kids try to ignore all the difficulties. We can't ignore them. We've got to say, well, there they are. We have to process them, deal with them. Hey, there's no uh, mom and dad are going to fix that. No, it's, it's, we're, we're in charge of that. We have to do that. 
However, I can still be thankful if I'm grown up about it. And so how do I grow in this? So I want to talk to you this morning about this idea of having a grown-up Thanksgiving. A grown-up Thanksgiving. Now, I will still eat three pieces of pie, especially because where I'm going, a family member will be making her homemade coconut pie, and I will be tempted to just grab it and run to the park across the street, but I will refrain because I'm an adult. This grown-up Thanksgiving. So what, what is that? I started to kind of look at some scripture, and I'm going to take you to four different places, kind of in a fast succession, and then we're going to settle in on one that needs a little bit more explaining in the book of Nehemiah. So kind of hold with me as we go at a little bit faster pace through a couple of these components of a grown-up Thanksgiving. The first one is that it is always, it's always, Thanksgiving is always present. Thanksgiving is always part of whatever we're doing. If I'm at a, a, on a date with my wife, I'm thankful. If I'm doing a funeral, I'm thankful. <laughs> if I'm talking to someone about challenges in their life, Thanksgiving is a part of that. And so whatever area of life that we're dealing with, Thanksgiving should be a component. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18. Paul writes this, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Now, interesting text, because you had to do a little work on it as we attempt to move a little faster through this. But is he saying to us, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you? Now, what is the this? Is the this the thanksgiving piece? Is it that he is saying, this thanksgiving is always part of God's will for you? Could be. Or is he saying the challenges that you're dealing with is the will of God for you, so be thankful? Ooh, now that's harder, right? That's harder. Because the people in Thessalonica were dealing with division. They're dealing with identity issues. They were dealing with losing a tradition and following Christ in a way that was always the purpose of that tradition, yet they didn't fully understand that. They're dealing with um, cultural issues because they're no longer at home. They're dealing with cultural issues because people have now come to their home. Do you see? That feels kind of normal, doesn't it? We live in a space in America where we have division, where we have some things that are no longer part of. We used to do some things, now we don't do some things. We have some people as a, in a transient kind of way. Maybe you used to live somewhere else and now you live here. And this isn't really home yet. Or maybe this has always been home to you, but you're tired of all the houses that they're building everywhere. And you're like, would people please stay away? You're going to... And so we have this kind of stuff, right? So Thanksgiving is part of this space in your life. And if we're going to be grown up, we need to say in all things that I'm dealing with today, in all situations, Thanksgiving is going to be a peace. I need prayer because I'm not so good at that. And maybe you do too. Another place that we can turn to is Romans chapter 1, verses 20, verse 21, where we learn this, that a grown-up Thanksgiving, it's absent of a futile thinking and a foolish darkness. Interesting. So if I'm going to be thankful, 
that means that there's going to be a futile thought or a futile way of thinking that's not going to be part of what I'm going to do. And there's also going to be a certain foolish darkness that's not going to be part of my life. Now, when you talk about being a child, as a child, there's a lot of futile thinking, right? A recent study post, or, um, produced by the, or not produced, but publicized in the New England Journal of Health said this, that your most productive gen- decade of your life is, six, is uh, seven, is, um, uh-oh, it was 70 to 80. No, I'm sorry, 60 to, eight, 60 to 70 was your most productive decade of life. Your second most productive life, decade of life was 70 to 80. Your third was 50 to 60. So it goes like this. You are most productive in your life, 60 to 70, then 70 to 80. So your 20-year most production in life is 60 to 80. And your third in your 50s. So what in the wide world are we doing before we're 50? We've got all sorts of energy all sorts of ability, and we go out doing a lot of things that we don't need to do, and we waste a lot of time and a lot of money and a lot of energy, and when you hit 50, you go, I don't have the energy for all that. I better really do the right thing because I'm only going to do one today, and it better really be meaningful, and it better really have impact, or I'm not wasting my time anymore. And by the time you hit 50, it's I've wasted so much time. I'm done with that nonsense. i got to do something that matters. So when we grow up, no more futile thinking and no more foolish darkness. Look at Romans chapter 1 verse 21 says this, For although they knew God, they know Him, they've experienced Him, they didn't honor Him as God or give thanks to Him. So like a church full of people, we know God. We know His Word. We've experienced God. We've been following God. And then we get in this space to where we're just not going to be thankful. We're not going to honor Him as God. And refuse to. And because of that, or instead of honoring and being thankful, the, the other piece of that is they became futile in their thinking. All of their thinking and all of their intellect just became nonsense. And didn't produce anything anymore. It was a bunch of smart people running around. That because they weren't honoring God as God. And they weren't being thankful to God. All of that energy just got wasted. All of their capabilities just got used up for nothing. And it says, and their foolish hearts were darkened. A foolish heart is one that does not honor or give thanks to God. And so your heart became dark. No light, no understanding, no wisdom, no ability. Just foolish energy (laughs) and blind activity. Whoa. It's pretty amazing, isn't it? So a grown-up Thanksgiving doesn't have any of that. Thirdly, a grown-up Thanksgiving, it's one, excuse me, it is, let me read it from up here. It's one of the blessings that come through community prayer. Huh. So now, we've realized that if we're going to be thankful all the time, and I'm going to be an adult about this, one thing I'm going to do is gather around people, and we're going to pray for each other, and pray with each other, 
And one of the blessings of that will be I grow in my ability to give thanks. So Jesus is saying, if you're over here isolated by yourself, you're probably going to get sucked into that hole of self-pity and self-loathing. But if you would connect with other believers, you would be honest and vulnerable about your struggles, and you collectively would seek the Lord, one of the blessings of that is you're going to grow in your ability, and I'm going to grow in my ability to be thankful. And one of the things that I need to do is get out of my own head about things, get with some believers, talk about it, pray about it, and my ability to be thankful will grow, and I will grow. But that's a struggle sometimes for people who now, in our culture, the way we're living, many of us have become what we would refer to as um, electronically individualistic. I have my phone, so I don't need to be with anybody else. I could just scroll and talk and, ooh, I don't like that guy. Go away. I can, oh, this one I'll connect with. Okay, I'll talk to them. Oh, now you're irritating me. Goodbye. You know, it's a lot easier to end a conversation on a phone than it is to end a conversation when you're face-to-face with someone, right? Because you could just literally ghost them and just stop. Just like middle of conversation, no more. It's hard to do that when you're in a group. So we need more of that, don't we? And then finally, with this description of a grown-up Thanksgiving is it is public. It's public. Look at Psalm 57, verse 9 says this, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will give praises to you among the nations. So your praise is public. When you put your praise in public, I will be benefit, benefit from that. When I put my praise in public, you will benefit from that. When we come together and do what we've been doing this morning, worshiping and praising God and thanking God for things, you and I, our ability to be thankful will increase. And so it's a public thing. So a grown-up Thanksgiving, it's always. It's absent of futile thinking and foolish darkness. It's one of the blessings of, that come from community prayer, and it is to be lived out in public. Now, a passage of Scripture that needs a little work that I want to spend a few moments on. Oh, I'm sorry, we have one more. I, missed, I almost threw those guys a curveball. It's, it's anticipated, the fifth one, sorry. It is anticipated in hard times. So if I'm going through a struggle, I mean, I'm not thankful yet. Maybe I'm not praising yet. <laughs> but I know I'm going to. I know I'm going to. We're going to get through this tough time. We're going to get through this struggle. And we're going to get on the other end of it, and somehow we're going to be thankful for it. Huh. Notice Psalm 9, verses 1-3 through says this, I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I will recount all of your wonderful deeds. I will be glad and exalt you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. Now notice verse 3, when my enemies turn back. They stumble and perish before your presence. So it's I will, I will, I will. So if you just read the first two verses, you just take the first two verses, cut them out, put them on your social media feed. Yay, there they go, the first two verses. And we're left with the, well, they must be having a good day. All things must be going all right for them because look at how much they're praising the Lord. They are praising the Lord so much and giving so much thanks. Everything must be great in their life. Well, if things were great in my life, I would too, but I've got this and this and this and this. Well, that's not the case if you read the next verse. <laughs> Because he's saying, I will, I will, I will, I will, I will. Well, when my enemies turn back and stumble, but right now they're not turning back and stumbling. 
This is a psalm of David, and it was written about the time when his enemies were chasing him all over the place. And he was hiding in caves and running from this place and that place and this place and that place. And in the middle of running around with all his enemies chasing him, he stands up and he writes this psalm and he says, Lord, I will praise you. Right now I'm running. (laughs) Right now I'm hiding in a cave. But Lord, I'm going to thank you. This, This will be over. This will pass. The cloud will lift. Victory will be mine, and I'll praise you. So now, this personal challenge comes this way. And when I'm praying for me and I'm praying for you this Thanksgiving is that may your Thanksgiving be strengthened by the joy of understanding. Because being in a confused state is no fun, right? Being in a state where you don't know who to believe and don't know what to trust and don't know what to do, you got to make an important decision, but all the information that you're getting is conflicting and it's confusing, and you're like, I've got to make a choice. I'm confused. (laughs) I'm lost. I don't know what to do. Notice this in Nehemiah chapter 8. Now let me set this up for you. By the time we get to Nehemiah chapter 8, there are, peop- there are a group of people that is coming out of captivity and they're coming home, okay? They're coming home and what they noticed is their home is destroyed. It's a disaster. Kind of like the people up in Paradise, California that are trying to rebuild after that fire just went through and ripped out that whole town, but yet there's people going back and saying, this is our home and we're gonna rebuild in our home, but it's just burnt, black, crisp, disaster mess. And they're going home and they see this, this city and it's just destroyed. And they're like, but this is our home. So the first thing that they get to do with the leadership of Nehemiah is they start to rebuild the wall. They start to rebuild the wall because it's their protection. And once they get their protection in place, they can go back and build the temple, their place of worship. And then after they get the temple, then they can go back and build their homes and they can do all of this kind of things. And so they're like, we got to get our protection, we got to get our place of worship, and we have to get our homes. And so they're working and working and working and working, and they're discouraged, and their enemies are standing on the other side of the wall, accusation after accusation after accusation, to the point where the people working on the wall had, were working on the wall with one hand and a sword in the other, and that's how they lived. That's how they lived. And then we get to Nehemiah chapter 8, and we discover this, starting in verse 1. And all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. It's the gate, not, not water gate. I know, listen, way before. And by the way, way before for deflate gate too, you football fans. This is different. This is like a literal gate in the wall. Okay, the water gate. And they told Ezra, the scribe. Now Ezra was, he was the one with the Bible. <laughs> he was he was their religious leader. Nehemiah was helping rebuild the wall. Ezra was helping with their spirit. It's kind of like around here, right? We have people teaching the Bible, and we have people fixing toilets and lights and the building and everything like that, right? So Ezra was their Bible guy. Nehemiah was their wall guy. And here we go, all right? And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses. The book of the law of Moses, you will understand it to be Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, and Numbers. I said that real fast, but it's the first five books of the Bible. That's what he had in his hand, these scrolls that made up those first five books. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women, and all that could understand what they heard. And on the first day of the seventh month, 
And he read from it facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday. Aren't you glad that we didn't start real early? And I might, we'll finish soon, but from early in the morning, from when the sun came up to midday, he was reading this and reading this. You thought my sermons were long. In the presence of the men and women, and the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. Preacher's dream. And Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform that was made for the purpose, and besides him stood a bunch of people that I can't pronounce their names, but those dudes. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people, and as he opened it, the people all stood, and Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their voices. And they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground and all these people that were there. And then verse 8, they read from the book of the law of God clearly and they gave the sense, in other words, the teaching, so that the people understood the reading. This is what was going to make the difference in this group of people. Because their city was destroyed, but they were starting to make some progress. And as they were starting to make some progress, they needed some encouragement. And in the middle of getting where they were going, when they understood the Bible, and they took the Word of God, applied it to where they lived, they were then encouraged to keep working. Oh, their city was destroyed, but they read of the promises of God, and so let's restore the city. The city is destroyed, but we've got all of these wonderful, this mission from God, this presence of God, the promises of God, the provisions of God, all of the stories of people of old of how God had helped them when they came back and when they were restored, and they gained energy and the ability to be thankful. And from that position of understanding that birth thanksgiving, they were able to move forward in the mission that God had for them. And so I pray today that you would read the Bible, that you would have an understanding of God's promises to you and God's word to you. And though you look and you see so much mess and so much division and so much chaos, that the wisdom of God and the clear understanding of the word of God would promote a thanksgiving in your heart and a power to move forward and to accomplish the things that God has set you on the face of the earth to accomplish. And you can do it and he will work it in your life. See, it's not, they didn't ignore they didn't come back into their city and say, well, no, it's not too bad. It's all right. <laughs> no, it was a disaster. And some things about our current world are an absolute disaster, an absolute mess. I think we can agree that there's a mess. And I know that not everyone in the room today, nor everybody watching online today, is going to describe the mess or define the mess in the same way. Maybe some things that I think are a mess, or you actually think they're good. And maybe things that I think are good, you think are a mess. And maybe some people that you think are the right people, I think are the wrong people. And maybe some of the people that I think are the right people are some of the things that you think are the wrong people. I don't know. We're not doing a good job dividing, I mean, we're not doing a good job defining the mess in unity, but we know there's a mess. We know there's trouble. We know this isn't what we want. This isn't the type of situation we want to be in, but we're in it. And what we need is a clearer understanding of God's Word and an application to that of that Word to our current life to where we can be thankful and encouraged and emboldened even 
in a place of mess.